0: Hello and welcome to the West Vic PHN COVID-19 Pandemic Response Series of Project ECHO. Uh, The following audio excerpts come from Thursday the 18th of June, 7.30 in the morning and uh, we won't be bringing them all to you in full due to the sensitive nature of the material. We've taken out the case presentation and the discussion of the details of recent cases of suicide in Geelong, uh, but we'll provide you the general information. So thanks for listening. And please join us next week as we continue education series on risk assessment for young people at risk. So, for newcomers, at project Echo we have a triple aim of promoting knowledge and best practice in response to the COVID and non-COVID infections this winter, providing continuing primary care at this time, and discussing new models of care of service delivery in a rapidly changing healthcare system and in response to emerging need. We are continuing our mental health series this morning, moving on in a life course from the perinatal period to another crucial period of the lifespan, adolescence. Over this time of lockdown, we've been ever mindful of the stress and the um, pressures facing families and young people and the potential negative impact of social iso- isolation on the mental health of vulnerable members of our community. Now in Geelong, we are heavy with heart as we learned this week of a fifth suicide in our community and the fourth in a young person. In response, the Westwick PHN are leading a series of conversations with key stakeholders to consider targeted postvention activities and service system and workforce needs at this time. We would like to thank you for joining this conversation this morning and acknowledge the expertise of you all, our GPs, nursing and allied health participants and people from workforce in this service response and your thoughts as key stakeholders as part of this discussion this morning. I wish to acknowledge the lived experience that many of us will unfortunately share in losing a loved one to suicide. I also wish to acknowledge the strength and resilience, not only in living beyond this loss, but in providing care to families and patients experiencing distress. I wish to remind you to please talk to friends, family and supports after these conversations today. And in particular, if these conversations trigger feelings of grief and loss. My name's Bianca Forrester and I'm a GP and I'm working in Geelong on the traditional lands of the Wathaurong people. And I wish to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'd now like to get, uh, invite you all to introduce yourself in the chat, thanks Rupali. You could all introduce yourself in the chat in a similar way with your name role and where you're zooming in from. And it now gives me great pleasure to invite a proud Yorta Yorta and Tungurung man, Adam Muir, the Aboriginal Project Officer for the West Vic, PHN and Bowen Health, to now make the formal acknowledgement of countries of the Western Victorian region. Thanks Adam.
1: Thanks, Bianca. We Western Victoria Primary Health Network acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waterways the Wadorang, the Gulajan, the Gadabanud, Kirawarang, Gunta Jamara, the Jaburang, Wachabalak, the Jajawarang, the Jadwajali, the Wagaya, Jadwa and Japagalk peoples. We recognise the diversity, the importance, the resilience and the ongoing place that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people hold in our communities. We pay respects to the elders, both past and present, and commit to working together in the spirit of mutual understanding and respect for the benefit of the broader community and future generations.
0: So we are joined this morning by a number of special guests. Ms. Christine Morgan, the CEO of the National Mental Health Commission, a National Suicide Prevention Advisor to the Prime Minister, Jason Trithown, CEO of Headspace National, uh, Mick Struth, our Victorian West Vic PHN Mental Health Commissioner and Sam Sharp, Director of Commissioning and Performance for the West Vic PHN. Our agenda for the session uh, for this session this morning, uh, well, we have a packed agenda and uh, we've got many content experts in regard to the subject matter in the room, um, alongside all of our experts in context, as we say, our, our Work, um, people working in primary care providing direct clinical service, and thank you for introducing yourselves in the chat. As always, we'll be inviting Associate Professor Deb Freeman to provide the local COVID update. We introduce Kristen Douglas, head of Headspace Schools, to provide an update on local suicide cases and the local postvention response. GP Joe Spencer will kick off our discussions with a case presentation.
2: Good morning. Um, thanks, Bianca. Um, so. Sitting where we are now, um, there are 7,360 cases in Australia and 1,762 cases in Victoria. The new case numbers are still low, although I acknowledge in the last 24 hours it was higher than usual with the majority of cases in Victoria. So 21 cases in the last 24 hours was higher than other days. However, of these new cases, they largely represent a mixture of two risk groups. One is those in quarantine after travel, and the other is those that form part of existing clusters. There are only four of these 21 that are actually going to be further investigated because they don't appear to link to other known clusters. Globally, there are over 8 million cases with really still large increases in the United States, Brazil, Russia, India is now significantly increasing and the UK continues to increase with case numbers. Recently, and I apologise that this is Geelong-centric, recently we talked about our issue about testing children between the ages of three months and five years. There's now been a plan formalised with the coordination between Cardinia Health and Bowen Health North, meaning that testing is now available seven days a week and GPs were sent a memo about this, or children of this age that are seen in person with some observations done. As um, I think we mentioned last time, as part of the testing strategy, there was more testing being performed in Torquay and that's one of many sites on the government's listed testing strategy. This has led to one new case reported yesterday on the surf coast. I want to highlight that this case is not known to anybody, so it's not known to any hospital, and we believe that it was part of screening as an outpatient in Torquay. Um, I'm very happy to hear from anyone, if anyone does know about this case, but I want to highlight that all of the other recent cases within the Greater Geelong region have been false positives. Um, I'll talk about that a little more in a moment. But as soon as I know any more information about this case in Torquay, I will forward that to GPs. There have been no clusters either in our region or in the entire western part of Victoria. These false positives to date within certainly Greater Geelong have been extensively investigated in terms of their history risk factors, contacts. Their swabs, their initial swabs were retested They were then re-swabbed. They've been tested in three different laboratories and had serology performed. And we kind of, we know that they are all false positives. We acknowledge the impact um, on people both in the community and GPs on hearing either on the radio or, or, you know, by newspaper that there are new cases. But I kind of, I'm committed to giving you all information as soon as it's available about any of these. And so we're very committed to that. And I want GPs to have some confidence in that. Um, the Department of Health, we've had a meeting with them on Tuesday to discuss the issue of false positive cases and the impact that they're having on the community. And they are are aware of this problem and they're considering whether or not they might be able to reclassify these cases. However, they know that the false positive cases that we've had are only some of the false positives, and so it would have to be part of a broader um, strategy to reclassify cases and they're not there yet. Um, Cases that have um, occurred of unknown source in Victoria represent 10.8% of cases. This is slightly higher than when we spoke last week, but everybody has to remember that this includes the false positive cases, which is obviously going to increase that percentage. The cases that have been identified within Victoria in schools are almost certainly not acquired at school, but acquired from home and family clusters. We don't have any evidence of school spread as of today, remembering that everything I say is only useful on the day that it's said and can be, you know, can expire very soon. Um, the potential any potential negative impacts from relaxing measures and any other opportunities that could have led lead that could have led to spread, such as Black Lives Matter protests. Um, and other relaxed measures will really only be visible in the next three weeks. So June 23 will mark two weeks after the broader return to school. And then July 6 will represent two weeks after opening of some more places, such as gymnasiums, museums, and other places in the community. I, I just want to finish off by saying that we expect ongoing cases and clusters. This is what we acknowledge is going to happen as part of a suppression, but not an eradication strategy. What we want to do is avoid large outbreaks that impact on the vulnerable. There are no active local cases, anyone who's sick, for example. And even if we did have some clusters locally, this shouldn't change our conclusion currently, which is that we still have to restore what we're doing in many sectors. And the most important of this is in general practice. Um, given the extremely low prevalence of infections, so I just wanted to put this into numerical terms, of every 10,000 patients that you might have seen since February, only, only one of them would have been infected with COVID-19. So that's out of 10,000 cases that you would have seen over months. So that's not today seeing 10,000, it's over months and months. There would have only been one. What that means is that, you know, 9,999 would not have had coronavirus and using pre-screening and PPE, where appropriate, would keep GPs safe. Um, There had been some sources that had forecast an increase in suicide resulting from the pandemic, and given the recent tragic loss of life, this is an appropriate place for me to stop and allow the focus to now um, be on suicide prevention. Thanks very much.
0: Okay, so now I uh, would like to invite um, Kristen Douglas uh, to take the floor and um, describe what's happening in regards to the postvention response. And um, Kristen, if you don't mind, um, beginning by introducing yourself and your role, that would be fantastic, thank you.
3: Thanks, Bianca. Good morning, everyone. Uh, So I'm the national manager with Headspace Schools. Uh, We work across all of the country, working with 10,000 schools, primary and secondary, doing everything from prevention through to early intervention through to postvention. And of course, you'd know Headspace has a network of other programs and services Uh, across the country uh, in terms of infrastructure, which is pretty incredible in the OECD. So um, we're quite a large organisation and and Jason and Grant also from Headspace have joined us. And I want to acknowledge our partners in the PHN and certainly Christine Morgan, who's also joining us. Um, Just off the back of Deb's comments, thank you to all of you who've looked after and protected our communities. I know it's probably been quite exhausting Um, But let me start by saying that very important thing uh, and for continuing to do so. Uh, I want to acknowledge that this morning's topic is pretty hard. Uh, It's a a. pre-8am topic. It's quite difficult. But um, to echo uh, what Bianca said, it's great to see your faces. So if you could switch your cameras on, that would be fabulous. appreciate if you're on the move. That's fine too. I'll be sharing my screen. Uh, I'm going to talk really quickly in that... Uh, I feel the more important thing today is the conversation, so i 'd rather get to that uh, in in a few minutes. Um, as you would know, uh, we are certainly working on a number of cases or situations that are happening in Geelong. Um, I want to go through just three or four slides really quickly, um, set the context, set the scene. Uh, tell you a little bit about, I think, what we've learned nationally from clusters, and I will officially use the word cluster in the space, uh, but also uh, allow open jars to sort of uh, propagate for you to ask lots of questions. I don't have any assumptions that we're going to talk about everything you need to talk about in this session. Uh, Bianca has alluded to that maybe there might be a follow-up two three sessions, potentially. Can I start by acknowledging the lands I'm on, uh, which is the Kulin Nation and the Wurundjeri people, Um, and acknowledge the lens that you're on as well. But can I also acknowledge the lived uh, experience in the room, and I don't think anyone in Australia, certainly by the the age um, that we're all at, you don't get to get to your 20s and 30s, I think, without having some level of exposure. Can I also say, and this is a pretty standard thing for me to say, is around the confidentiality of information, I'm also under no illusion that you're sitting in a region where you might know some of these families, and certainly uh, have bereavements of your own, uh, grief of your own in terms of impact, but some of these may have been either patients or connected patients, so I want to say that from the start. It's important around the sensitivity of the information, as you would understand, but also the safety of this group. Uh, in my experience, and we've done you know, probably more than 2,000 notifications of suicide in the last 10 years while I've been with Headspace, uh, we've also worked across a number of workforces Uh, the veterinary workforce around their suicidal risk, um, working with doctors in hospitals, um, but also other workforces, dairy farmers in Victoria. So I also acknowledge that your group is not immune um, to certainly having these types of conversation. Just to quickly sort of dive in and, and I guess set the scene, um, as you would know, a number of years ago, Geelong had quite a well-known cluster. Uh, there were, I think there was four deaths at that time and I think what happened after that was an incredible sort of connection of services.
0: Krista now goes on to outline the details of uh, the cases that have occurred in Geelong and has asked me not to share them uh, through the audio file um, in order to protect uh, confidentiality. Um, for those of you working in the area, um, I guess I recommend that you um, you know, seek out through your normal channels uh, information that you feel will help you in practice to understand, I guess, the, this part of the conversation. So
3: all of these sorts of things um, we utilise to start responding in certain ways. As a result, thousands of families, young people who will now be accessing you, are clearly showing risk. And we've been meeting with the schools, there's probably about 25 in the cohort of schools that we're talking about. So five that were really impacted, another 10 sort of peripheral impacted with uh, siblings, girlfriends, things like that, and then further on, broader impact across the whole community. We've also seen heightened media response from the Geelong Advertiser, and certainly age has shown. Um, some levels of interest. We're trying to contain national media. That's the last thing I think Geelong needs right now. We're dealing with a very highly fatigued educational workforce, as you can understand and appreciate. Um, And certainly COVID has added complexities to what we would normally do uh, as evidence-based response, which is draw people together, talk about grief, had large sort of um, connection points. We haven't been able to do a lot of these things. So we've had to be creative and innovative about how we do our normal response and recovery work. What we've known in terms of all of the cluster areas and certainly all that I've worked across is a couple of, I guess, um, really clear pillars of understanding is reducing exposure across. So the information, what are we sharing, how are we sharing, is it helpful or unhelpful information, is it creating further harm, which plays into that media space. Reducing access, it's very hard.
0: Again, just editing out a piece around lethality of means, but many of you will understand this bit.
3: Um, improving protective factors, and we know that COVID is now reducing some of these protective factors. We don't have sport clubs going, we don't have things where people are able to go out and access. So some of these protective factors are reduced, and people have quite a low threshold of tolerance at the moment. I won't go through to all of these, but I'm conscious some of you don't won't be able to see these. But things like um, we're increased suicidal risk ideation, thoughts, feelings, we're seeing that rise to the surface. I th- I would. Probably candidly say all 25 schools are seeing some level of increase, but a a group of schools are seeing significant increases. And of course, they're the schools that I've already talked about, but also other schools surrounding them. Um, We need to identify the right support at the right place at the right time. And this plays into what role you can play going forward, and I'll come back to that. We need to connect. For me right now, there are two key workforces that are pivotal, and they're also the most trusted workforces for families the educational and school workforce, and it's the medical and doctor fraternity. Those two people are the most powerful leverages points we have right now to very quickly capacity building parents, wrapping support around parents and making sure that they feel like they know what to do at 11 o'clock when they're seeing high and acute levels of distress. I won't go through the rest, but we're now activating a whole range of what we would normally do in cluster responses. We've got a Geelong Protocol Group, uh, inclusive of police, ambulance education, PHN, uh, Barwon Health, Bellarine, Jigsaw, we're all sitting together, we're sharing information. Can I say it's actually working particularly well. People have leaned into that really quickly. Um, I've said to Bianca that maybe one of this group could also come on as a a, um, contributor. We've done localised Facebook ads and, and we need to continue to do social media, targeted ads around health services. Um, and we need to make sure that we continue to contain and monitor the situation. The only thing I really want to show you about this is this is the risk factors of suicide, the warning signs of suicide in the imminent risk category. But the thing I also want to point out is the tipping point. We did a really um, pertinent sort of uh, project with the coroner in Victoria a number of years ago, and it showed that a lot of these things, now we young, we know young people have really sort of Um, dynamic risk factors, they can go zero to a hundred pretty quickly, they're very impulsive. They're also at low tolerance right now and they're poorly regulated. had a great conversation with Christine yesterday about that. So they're already vulnerable um, and they're already potentially experiencing some level of suicidal risk. They're also particularly in grief right now because they've lost so many friends. But the thing I wanna talk about is relationships ending, social conflicts, disconnection, all of those sorts of tipping points We really need to stay across. Um, We need to, and I won't go through this again, we need to make sure parents know what to do to escalate risk. We need to maximise the conversations you're having in terms of asking the key questions. Um, Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Do you have a method? Do you have a plan? Do you have a timeline? These are all sort of simple risk assessment questions. They're hard to ask and it's hard to know when to ask them, but it's having the confidence and capacity to do it. And that's inclusive of parents. We have a really simple framework called nip it in the bud. And I would encourage you to apply this to the thinking for the next couple of months in Geelong when you're talking to a young person and the presentations a mental health presentation. What are you noticing? What are you asking and what are you doing before that parent and that young person walks out the door. And I know a lot of you already have these really incredible capacities. And some of you are probably sitting here going, I might need to refresh that I know how to activate myself in this space. And I think we're about to have a case study, which is great. The last thing I want to do is leave you with three things you can do today. When they walk into your consultation um, space, ask them, have they shared their risk with their school and really encourage them to do that. Kids might come to you acutely in distress on Saturday and it just does not occur to them or their family that they need to tell the wellbeing team at school. Now that wellbeing team needs to keep them safe throughout the week. So we need to have shared accountability and confidential, confidentiality I appreciate, but we also need to have some continuity of care between our services. Capacity build that parent and say, now are you, do you know what you would do at 11 o'clock if you notice distress changes? Great, why don't I help you? It's either ED, triple O, so, giving them skills to say in the after after hours, what would you do? Let me skill you around that, and apply nip it in the bud for yourself. I'll stop there, Bianca, because uh, I'd much prefer to hear what the GPs have to say.
0: So that concluded the didactic component of the session. What followed was a case presentation by GP Joe Spencer, and I think all agreed that the um, case presentation really represented, I think, best practice in primary healthcare for common mental disorders and um, and risk. And um, the discussions were around, um, you know, still the needs of the family and um, the young person. I think beyond what we might see as standard care and we reflected upon you know what types of things could um, fill those gaps so with that I'd like to uh, hand over now to Christine Morgan to invite you to provide some reflections on the conversations today and the work that's going forward thank you Christine
4: thank you so much Um, what a what a privilege to actually sit and to hear firsthand um, of the incredible commitment Jo I just want to add in my congratulations for how you managed that I think um, I would regard that as being almost a textbook way of managing it. Um, and I would have to say, Joe, that um, it is that very, whilst we know people are vulnerable, whilst we can know that they are at risk, um, we can't predict suicide. And it is that rapid escalation which can just take any of us by surprise. And I think whilst you have handed out All of the information to the parents, as Kristen said, and I I echo it, Um, I think when you get to that moment of suicidal crisis, it is really scary, it's really frightening. And so connecting in with a trusted source is an incredibly important thing to do. And I just want to acknowledge the role that GPs play in that. Um, And it is, as you say, above and beyond um, the normal hours. So I guess what I'm hearing, and, and I'm here in Geelong very much to hear, so I come with probably my two hats on. One is, and most importantly, is the Suicide Prevention Advisor. Um, I'm due to do a report in six weeks' time on where we are at an interim level, and I thought to myself, how can I sit in Canberra um, when this is the reality of this is happening in Geelong without coming down, and actually hearing firsthand what is happening, and trying to better understand it. And suicide is just so incredibly complex. Um, and so what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing in particular, is that whilst this, and I, a particular concern, I guess I had, I have had, because I'm called on to advise on this, if it is the case, is what is the particular impact of COVID-19? Was that a causal factor for what has happened here in Geelong? Um, To date and I'm still I have a full day ahead of me to listen and hear. I'm I'm thinking that whilst you can't take COVID nineteen out of all of the circumstances and certainly and it may be Joe for your particular young man, increased the sense of isolation, increased the risk. Um, I think there are many other factors, and I think that is our reality, our very sad reality, that clusters do happen. We do lose young people. Um, But I'm certainly hearing about the impact of COVID-19 on the ability to respond, and I think that's something we really have to, to listen and hear. The second um, hat that I wear is as CEO of the National Mental Health Commission and that is um, something that has opened my ears this morning because I'm hearing from you about what can we do in effect to open up the system. So we have really good people, we have good resources happening. It's not perfect, as Stephen himself would say for our wait in ED is not uncommon. Um, People leaving ED because they can't get seen is not uncommon. Creating a safe place is something, certainly from a system perspective, we want to put a lot more focus on. So I think I'm hearing here how critical it is for us to actually look at that system and say, how can we better support the work of those at the front line, such as our primary care workers, the work of our specialists in our tertiary services, And as you've said, how do we create those linkages in between, which is really all of those community-based services? How do we do it involving not just our um, health professionals, but our allied health professionals and our schools and other committed people? So I'm learning a lot. I'm hearing a lot, hearing these stories. And, Joe, just that... The case study you've given me, that's something which makes this work so real. And I can use it as a touch point as I kind of continue to develop that thinking. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And can I just say to everybody, well done. And for those in Geelong who are coping with this tragedy, and it is formally a cluster now, um, and we're not out of it. We're not out of it. As Kristen and I were saying yesterday, we're probably still at the epicentre. It's not about being able to eliminate the risk. It's probably about being able to build those protective factors and being alert and creating safe spaces. So thank you for the opportunity to to listen and learn today.
0: And Mick Struth, Mental Health Commissioner for the West Vic PHN, concludes with a discussion of health pathways.
1: Thanks, Bianca. And in relation to the pathways, um, there are, I think, about 12 new ones coming up. So there's the mental health referrals and support, COVID-19 mental health pathway that's coming online, the youth health and wellbeing, suicide and self-harm, bereavement, bereavement support, um, eating disorders, uh, eating disorder support and addiction and drug uh, misuse are current supports that are available in, uh, in this community. In addition to that, the um, outstanding work that's been led by Kristen um, and her team about the collective efforts of people within the community have put together a um, service directory for Geelong Um, and that includes all of the Primary Health Network Commission services, in addition to other services that are um, existing within the John community. That resource will be distributed at the end of this meeting. So uh, that's been um, put together as a result of the collective effort of people coming together. Uh, In relation to um, the next stages or next steps in Geelong as well, um, there's an immediate um, local response about activating local resources to um, the schooling communities, uh, families, uh, and um, there's a lot of work being going in by and Health, um, and Child Youth and Family Service, Hope Bereavement, um, and it, the challenge is about coordinating this collective effort to make sure that we're not duplicating, that we are in fact, uh, the left hand's knowing what the right hand's doing, and that um, people keep that communication up. Um, in the intermediate space, there will be a uh, uh, we're looking at a place-based suicide prevention collective impact initiative for Geelong, which will actually bring together a more formalised way of coordinating and integrating where the uh, the services that exist in Geelong, um, and also about where the gaps are, which will then feed into some actions locally. But then we'll also um, provide most relevant information for the the uh, joint mental health and suicide prevention. Comprehensive plan that is being developed uh, between now and the end of June, uh, end of June 2022. That's a joint responsibility between um, the local hospital networks of Barwon Health in this region and the primary health network. The foundation plan is almost complete now. It will be um, being distributed for public consultation in the next couple of weeks. So that will um, come out for feedback. Um, and so they're the uh, they're the things that are happening in this space right now. Uh, and I guess the take-home message is um, just uh, reinforcing or reiterating the point that Kristen was making. If there's limited time, um, ask the question, check whether or not someone is contemplating, whether they've attempted, what's the method, uh, is there a plan, what's their intent? Um, understand the context of needs. Does the person feel like they are a burden to others? Is there a disconnectedness um, in their circumstance? and ensure that there's a plan of safety. So um, within that really important time space, that nip it in the bud is a great framework and a great guideline. So um, they're the things that are happening around Geelong uh, and the primary health networks involved with at this stage.
0: Thank you very much, Mick. So I'd like to thank you all. Thank you to our um, visitors coming in today and listening. Thanks to our expert participants. Um, keep safe, talk to one another, talk to, um, you know, supports, um, have conversations about these conversations. These are difficult conversations and I think we need to talk about it, but we do also need to frame it for young people. Again, young people at the moment are seeing this happening and I think there's a risk that they might think that there's no hope for their group or that, they're, you know, we've had climate change activism and we've got had bushfires and now COVID. This has been pretty grim times in 2020 and I think we've got to really try to find hopeful narratives for this group of young people. So let's keep working to try to inspire hope in your, in, in our young people in these difficult conversations and, uh, and do keep connected. We'll keep the conversation going and we'll see you next week. Thank you very much for coming this morning and thanks for all your contributions. Thanks all. Keep safe.